Tonight's show is brought to you by Fangoria. Fangoria magazine is back and better than ever in a deluxe 100-page quarterly edition. Each issue includes set visits, deep dives, new discoveries, and minimal ads, all printed on collectible-grade paper stock that reimagines the classic magazine for a 2019 audience. You'll see familiar names like Mike Gingold and Tony Timpone, and you'll see bylines that will leave your jaw drop on the floor like Barbara Crampton. And the best part, it's only in print, just like the old days. Go to Fangoria.com to subscribe today. This episode of Nightmare University is brought to you by Fright Rags. Fright Rags is the premier place for horror apparel and accessories from all your favorite creature features, slasher flicks, and cult classics. Now in their 16th year, Fright Rags has officially licensed products for over 50 films, releasing new collections every week. Some recent additions to their stellar lineup include all new shirts for Big Trouble in Little China, Pet Cemetery, The Fly, and more, featuring artwork from top industry artists and professionally screen printed on super soft ring-spun cotton shirts. Stay tuned for upcoming releases for The Omen, Return of the Living Dead 3, The Gate, and the Ghostbusters 35th Anniversary Collection. From now through June 30th, get 10% off your first order. Head over to fright-rags.com and enter code FANGO40 at checkout to activate your discount. That is fright-rags.com, and to get your 10% off, enter F-A-N-G-O-4-0, FANGO40 at checkout. Welcome to Nightmare University. I am joined tonight by two of my favorite aquatic horror experts, Steven Scarlatta and Josh Miller. Hello. Hello. This is the voice of Josh, by the way. <laughs> and the voice of Steven right there. Yes. And I have to say, these um, may be the only people who would bring me a DVD copy of Plankton as they come in to do the show, <laughs> which I'm super excited about. It's a crazy movie. I can't wait to dive into this one. Tonight, um, our topic, we are doing um, a super quick, tight examination of 1989. And this has become known as kind of the year of aquatic horror, um, mostly because there were five aquatic horror films, pretty major ones, actually, that were released basically back to back, like kind of, you know, spread apart by a month. But that was about it. Um, how many of these have you guys seen? I have seen all of them. Yes, oh, same here. Oh, my gosh. So you yeah. made it through. Wait, what was the one that I struggled? The Evil Below? Ooh. You know, yeah. I don't even, I mean, it, I count okay. it because it's part of 1989, but in some ways I don't count it because what's fascinating is not even that there's all these aquatic horror movies. It's how similar all of them are, except, except that for the one. evil below. Yeah. Exactly. So we'll dive into that in a second. Um, but let's start with what kind of kickstarted this. And there's a couple of different theories that I have about why all these aquatic films came out in 1989. Um, do you guys have any theories about why this happened? Do you? I mean, I, I have a small one. I mean, I've always heard the rumor it was the abyss, but I, I saw that it was also. Crichton's Spear in June '87. Yeah, it's yep. been three months on the New York Times bestseller list. Those are the two that I would pinpoint as like what caused this massive mm -hmm. boom in 1989 was that Sphere spent so long on the bestseller list, 
and um, which is literally about scientists on the bottom of the ocean who find an alien and then shit gets weird. Um, but Crichton had written this back in 67 and it came out in 87 and immediately skyrocketed to the top. And then The Abyss. And this was back when films obviously take a lot longer to get made. So um, I think that The Abyss was announced in 87. He wrote it in 86. I think him and Gail Ann Hurd greenlit it in 87. So it would have been announced around that time. And, and then and then they got married divorced. when they were done writing it and then separated during pre-production and then divorced like two months after they finished shooting it. So. Which is insane. And then when you think about how problematic the uh, the abyss set was rumored yeah. to be, like it just sounds awful and all at the bottom of various water tanks. So well, I remember as a kid, like pre-internet, I mean, I didn't hear much behind the scenes stories anyway but certainly not before the movie came out and that was a rare movie where i don't i don't know what they were reporting it on maybe entertainment tonight or something but i was fully aware of the fact that that was like a crazy production and it went way over budget and way too it was like 70 days that they had to spend filming underwater mm -hmm. is just nuts but yeah i remember hearing like news reports about how problematic it was through the entire filming and, and also the other crazy thing was is that I don't know if you if you remember because I was at the age where I was constantly reading Cinefantastique that everyone thought it was going to be a horror movie. Mm -hmm. No one expected a message movie yet yeah. from him. Like because it was like the guy who did the Terminator, the guy who did the Aliens, and it's like because he kind of kept it secret what the movie was going to be about. Yeah. So it was constant speculation that we're going to get this ultimate horror movie, Aliens Underwater, supposedly. And that, I I mean, again, this was a long time ago, but I recall the initial trailers were very mysterious. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. never actually saw anything in the mm -hmm. trailer. You just saw that something spooky was going on. Uh, no, the, the teaser trailer was actually pulled from Deep Star 6. That's where it was been originally <laughs> supposed to premiere. Are you serious? And Cameron got it removed because it, he didn't want to get confused or like, yeah. It was, it was supposed to come out around the time Deep January 87, or January 89, excuse me. I, mean, I can't even imagine working on one of these movies because it's annoying enough if you're working on a movie and one similar movie. So I, I looked that up because I was like, were they aware of each other? Because, yeah, imagine that as a director knowing that there's literally like four other films very much like yours in production at the exact same time. And all I could find was Sean S. Cunningham saying that he was aware of Leviathan but told to keep going. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And I was, okay. Um, well, the following year, Endless Descent, those cats knew of everything. I love <laughs> Endless I can, Descent. For me, yes, I realize too. it's not in 89, <laughs> but it came out like a March of 90s. So I feel like in my mind, that's mm -hmm. lumped in the same and aquatic it, horror movies all happening at in the same year. Basically. Yeah, it definitely pulled up the rear and it still had the same concept of a group of people going to the bottom of the ocean and finding some crazy shit there. I love Endless Descent, which we'll, we'll just lead with that one, um, even though that it was uh, a couple months after the big boom. Um, I love that one because the, the first half of the movie is literally an endless descent. Yeah. Um, and then they finally get there and then cool shit happens. And I guess that there's some explanation of it being like a mutation machine that causes all of these mutations. Again, the first half is a bit of a slog. You're like watching a blip on the screen as they go, we're going deeper for a really long time. But well, who's the lead Jack who's the lead guy? Is it Jack Scalia? No, Jack no. Scalia, yeah. Dude, his hair is majestic. <laughs> it's just like there's a scene where he's docking a sub, and I swear to God, his hair pretty much docks it. It takes <laughs> it's incredible. 
Um, well, let's go back to 1989. Which of these did you guys see when they actually came out? Um, I definitely saw Leviathan. I feel like that one, uh, not counting the Abyss, was kind of the highest profile. I didn't see Deep Star 6 till probably a few years later. I mean, mm-hmm. still relatively around the time it came out. And then the other ones I didn't even know existed until I got <laughs> older and had the power of the internet and could track some of the stuff down. Mm-hmm. How about you, Steven? Um, like, like I said, I was huge Fangoria, Cinefantastic reader. So I knew of all of this before they were all coming out because it was like, being an aquatic horror fan, it was like, oh my God, it was going to be like the, the most awesome year. So I saw them all as they each came out on video. I didn't see any of them theatrically. Holy shit, you were dedicated. <laughs> oh, oh, everyone, except Endless Descent and Lords of the Abyss, I watched on Cinemax. Those two. As you should. Yeah. That feels like the best place to watch them. Yeah, but the others, I rented all of them. I, I was excited for all of these. I remember seeing, um, and I remember watching them in order that they came out, where I watched Deep Star 6 first, because mm-hmm. um, my parents rented everything that came out, and my mom was a huge sci-fi buff, so she rented them all thinking that they were sci-fi, and then I just watched them with her. So I remember starting with Deep Star 6, and then seeing Leviathan, and then seeing The Abyss last, and mm-hmm. I don't think I saw Lords or um, uh, Evil Below until years, years later. Well, that's the funny thing, of, and I get why years later there's the perception that these were all knockoffs of the abyss but the abyss was the last one to come out yeah not counting mm-hmm. endless descent um and i, I double checked because i was under the impression i remember i was like i think like that production was horribly delayed but i think it was only actually delayed by a month so yeah like during shooting they had issues but i think that their actual release was not that far off yeah. it was july i believe early july but yeah, there was definitely an appeal at the time to try to beat it to the punch, to mm-hmm. try to get it out ahead of time. Whereas now I think if you are doing a knockoff, you kind of time it at the same time. Um, but this, they were definitely pushing ahead. So it started with Deep Star 6, which was 1989 in January. And this one, um, directed by Sean S. Cunningham, who did Friday the 13th, um, $8 million budget, grossed about $8 million. <laughs> So they broke even. Um, and this is the one where he said that he was aware that Leviathan was in production, but told just to keep going. This one feels the most aliens out of all of them, where they're definitely kind of blue-collar workers at the bottom of the ocean. Um, and the monster, they explain, is like a prehistoric fish thing. It's definitely kind of a weird <laughs> crab monster. Mm-hmm. When I looked it up today, I, I saw sea scorpion, and then I had to look up sea scorpion and the monster, and I don't see much of a comparison, yeah. but maybe we can ask, like, Chris Wallace at some point, sea scorpion. I, mean, I, I, I like, I kind of dig him, because he's probably the most aquatic, like, of oh, the, the horror monster. ones. Yeah, yeah. totally. Like, so, but I, it does take That's an the main problem. Time. Like, to me, I feel like that and Leviathan are kind of the easiest to directly compare. And mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. if you're in the mood to watch an aquatic horror movie and kick back with some friends, Leviathan is probably the one you're going to want. Even, But in a lot of ways, I actually like Deep Star Six better. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, I don't even know if you'd call it a slow burn. I feel the most of the movie is just not about the fact that there's a giant monster. I don't think he shows up until like 30 minutes from the end. Like yeah. you yeah. get very little of the giant sea scorpion dude. Yeah, because it's the one I rewatched 
throughout my life the least. And watching it for this podcast, I realized I forgot that I was watching a horror movie pretty much up until like an hour in. I'm like, oh yeah, there's a monster in here somewhere. He's gonna eventually pop up. It, it's kind of that. That was the one thing that bums me out. Plus, I also think. They might have had the hardest job because they had to beat everyone else to the theaters first. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, like you mentioned, it made eight million. It debuted in eighth place. Oh, which it, like Rain Man and all these other Oscar movies have been playing for five weeks. Beat it. I'm like obsessed with box office. So I mean, that that was the rough thing. So you I can think, come back anytime, sir. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I think it was like the time. I mean, I think it just had a bad release date because I have a feeling it would have probably done better. Maybe if it was another month or something. I just think it. You know, it, I don't know because it does have the problem of just not even attempting to deliver on. I think what people watching the movie would want like yeah. I, I actually think the monster looks better than the final monster in Leviathan I would venture to say the same there are some of the transformation sequences in Leviathan that I think look a lot better yeah, the hands the final, monsters, the final monster is like as bad as the final creature in Hellraiser 1 the say ah motherfucker <laughs> moment of the movie it's just, oh, it's, man. and it's in broad daylight, we'll which is that. like, it didn't even look good in low light. No. It's like, don't show this thing in the bright mm. sun. And it's really plasticky, oh. and yeah, I mean, at least in Deep Star 6, they kept it pretty obscured. And I remember um, the cast being pretty notable at the time, like, the lead protagonist guy had just come off one of the Police Academy movies. Yeah, and, he was like the Timothy the guy Dalton from, of the Police Academy yeah. franchise. You know? <laughs> right. like, he never, replaced Steve Gutenberg. Yeah. yeah, he replaced Steve Gutenberg. Never had that well, it also had the guy, the other dad from My Two Dads, who wasn't Paul Reiser. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. The George Michaels looking guy. And yeah. I remember Deep Star Six pushing the humor a little bit more. Like, it was definitely um, playing around with a lot of the humor and drama between the workers before the weird monster shows up. Yeah. Uh, one thing I remember about that that disturbed me as a kid had nothing to do with the monster. There's just this part where they're looking for the monster. And I'm, I guess to attack the monster, they have these, like, I don't know, like harpoons with some kind of explosive thing on the end. Mm -hmm. And I remember one of the characters backs into Miguel Ferrer's character. So, like, he backs into the exploding thing, and so Miguel Ferrer accidentally kills him. <laughs> and his reaction of just, like, being so horrified that he accidentally killed this guy I found very disturbing as a child. <laughs> And isn't that hilarious that each one of these movies has a Miguel Ferrara character? Of course. <laughs> there's so much. They're the six-pack of all of them. Other than the evil below, there's such a Venn diagram of various plot points. Like, if you mush them all together, they're just this one movie. And then it gets recycled a bit in Deep Rising, where you could literally pull these same character archetypes <laughs> yeah. and kind of drop them into that movie and go, oh, you're that guy. So after Deep Star Six, we move on to George Cosmatos's Leviathan, which I have to say is my personal favorite of the bunch. Like, I've always loved Leviathan, and it's the one that I would be most likely to revisit or recommend to friends. Mm. But it didn't do well at the box office. Like, $20 million budget, and it I listed mean, gross of 15. For yeah. 1989, too. Well, you think about who's involved because it had the writer from Die Hard, um, the other writer from Blade Runner. Um, yeah, I mean, Stan's Winston's doing the effects. I mean, it was like a hot team. And oh, yeah. George, George uh, Cosmatos was coming off of like Rambo 2. Mm -hmm. was Cobra. Co was Cobra a hit? I don't, I remember seeing it. I don't Rambo, know if I'd yeah, call it a hit. Rambo 2 was a hit. Rambo yeah. 2 was definitely a hit. That was huge. Yeah, like, um, it, it, the, 
I'm, again, obsessed with box office. It came in right after Fletch Lives in second place oh. with $5 million Ouch. opening Behind weekend. Fletch Lives. You know what? Not yeah. I'm thinking about the fact that he lost the Deep Star Six face off. They're like, we're going to rush into production. Then he won the. Um, Wyatt Earp face off because he made Tombstone. <laughs> oh, so yeah. he made the Kevin Costner movie to mm-hmm. punch. And then Tombstone was a huge hit and Wyatt Earp was a huge bomb. Yeah. This one, I always liked the plot line a little bit more where it wasn't just something that they were finding at the bottom of the ocean that already exists. It was like, it was more thingish mm-hmm. um, where it was like we enter the, the Russian ship and there was a lot more mystery as to why it's there. And then you have to drink the vodka and it could be a parasite or a bacteria or a virus. We don't know, but it's mutating. And, um, you know, why is the Russian ship even here mm-hmm. to begin with? There was and, and seeing it through all the different stages, like where it attacks to Jesus, it looks like a giant lamprey and then at one point it's like some wormy things in arms and then it makes a hand mouth and that was was always the one I remembered like from a kid was uh, I think it's Hector Elizondo's character gets the weird mouth Mm -hmm. on his hand to me Leviathan is the most direct alien ripoff where I don't even know I probably Sphere was involved but to me it just feels Mm -hmm. like someone's like you know, we could just kind of do Alien Meets the Thing, but <laughs> yep. do it underwater. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Because <laughs> they're down there doing their blue-collar thing. Mm-hmm. They get notified of this derelict ship. Mm-hmm. They go explore it rather than getting a thing on the face. Yeah, I mean, I always loved, I don't know why I love the detail so much that it's in a bottle of vodka. Yeah, that was the best detail because Six Pack and the red-haired woman who I think is Reba McIntyre or looks like her a lot. It's not Reba McIntyre. No, it's... Twins? Yeah, this is a red haired girl. She yeah. looked yeah. like Reba McIntyre, but was not Reba McIntyre. <laughs> yeah. um, there's there's yeah. that little sea spider that they make looks just like a face hugger. It's like oh, they, yeah. want, they want to remind you mm-hmm. of aliens. Because so. it jumps out. And <laughs> yeah, I it's... I always loved the lamprey because it had a face. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that like DeJesus is trying to pull oh, yeah, off yeah. his midsection. Like it had that a seems face. It's pretty disturbing too because he's trying to get Ernie Hudson to help him. And Ernie Hudson's just like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to touch you, dude. Yeah, yeah. It is, he's like full force. <laughs> punching himself yeah. to try to get it off. That was a really fucked up scene, actually. And I loved um, with it that, you know, they kept saying, you got to get us off the ship. And then Meg Foster, very stone-faced, would appear on the screen and go, there's a storm right now. We can't do that. And then that was it. And then they had to stay there for a while. Same was- as the abyss. Storm <laughs> up above. Although it turns out to be a lie in Leviathan. Yeah. Was that Deep Star 6 also? Was there a storm? But Were they being held... Or am I just confusing you? What's the funny thing? By the, <laughs> by the very there? nature of being at the bottom of the sea, the ending is always going to be the same of, well, we need to get to the surface. Mm-hmm. None of these movies are going to end with them underwater and being like, oh, we killed it. Well, now we can go back to our job. <laughs> they, yeah, they took out the hyperventilating, and so there's a shark circling them, and it's supposed to be like, oh, man, what's going to happen with this shark? And then all of a sudden, six-pack grabs the shark, embraces it, and squeezes it, and then its servos on its suit squeezes it so much the shark explodes like a rupturing tube. Wait, this is this is in the original script. Oh, script! It's so brutal. How can I not remember this? So yeah, six pack grabs a shark and squeezes it until it explodes. That's the opening. So it was like one of those. Wow. You think Jaws is terrifying? Look what we just did to Jaws. Wait till you have. Wait till you're about to see. It's such (laughs) a like today's standards. It would be such a like. Oh Oh, God! I think I enjoy the tube worms better. 
yeah. yeah. I was gonna say that's like something out of Tintorera. Yeah, Tintorera, yeah. 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 They kill actual sharks on yeah. camera. Yeah, it's hard to watch. So. Same thing. The ending again. They bring the sharks in. Well, that's what I was gonna bring up. Mm-hmm. One yeah. of my favorite, like, just doofy moments at the end of the movie after they finally make it to the surface and it's. Uh, Peter Weller and what's her name? Oh, Amanda Pace yeah. from The Kindred. Yes. And that, that's a great practical effect. Yes, wonderful little aquatic horror. But they get it, to the top. With, I'd say more Lovecraftian, yes. but yeah. They get to the top with uh, uh, Ernie Hudson, and they're like, we made it. And then they just start getting menaced by sharks. I know. <laughs> <laughs> which I misremembered incorrectly for years. I thought the sharks ate Ernie Hudson, which is an even funnier Dumb yeah. <laughs> He's survived all this shit only no, to be eaten by a shark. shark. Well, in the original draft, <laughs> when they make it to the surface, it's eight pages of them in these rough waters. Like um, Peter Wells' character is knocked out the whole time. But when the, the sharks come and Amanda Pays gets taken by the creature and then Ernie Hudson saves her and then he gets taken in by the creature and then he uses the sharks to attack him and the creature. Oh, so, so he cons the sharks. Yeah, he's, well, that he starts. That is amazing. Oh, I had the. Oh, I can't find. But he's like yelling, "You want meat? Come after me!" Like he's yelling all this stuff at the sharks, and so the sharks start tearing about apart him and the monster. And then a helicopter comes by and starts rattling bullets into the sharks and into Ernie Hudson what? into the into the monster. So, but Peter Weller's character then wakes up on a boat. So you could see like maybe they wanted Peter Weller to have like a better ending. Hero. Yeah, they say, oh, motherfucker, <laughs> yeah, you need so. you need a catchphrase for this yeah. one." Yeah. I also so. somehow feel like sharks, like rigging up all of those sharks circling and everything, feels like it would be more expensive than the giant monster walking around the ship. Oh, yeah. In some capacity. I mean, yeah, it was it's a- so, I mean, they kept some of the sharks. It's so mm-hmm. weird. Yeah. It, it always reminds me of... <laughs> Remember that show, The Banana Splits? Yes, I, I do remember that show. The giant monkey with the sunglasses on. Yes, on roller skates. But there was a serial, a live, a live action serialized thing they would cut away to, you know, like Krusty the Clown cutting away to Itchy and Scratchy. That was actually directed by Richard Donner called Danger Island that has one of the most amazing moments I've seen in anything as far as just like hyperbole in action because it's sort of like a Johnny Quest like family adventuring. Mm-hmm. They're on a boat and they get attacked by pirates. And the son, who I think actually is Jan Michael Vincent, if I'm remembering correctly, jumps off the boat to swim to shore. And while he's swimming to shore, he gets attacked by a shark and fights it and wins. And then he climbs <laughs> up on the beach and is like, oh, I made it. And then he looks up and then there's just a jaguar sitting there. And he has to fight the jaguar. And I'm just like, this is, who came up with this idea? I want to watch this. Pirates, then sharks, then jaguars. All animals yeah. hate Jan Michael Vincent. Exactly. And oh he vanquished God. them all. Oh, man, sounds awesome. All right. So, yeah, I think he just <laughs> after Leviathan, we move into Lords of the Deep. Ooh. Or Lords of the Abyss. Lords, Lords, Lords of the, of the Deep. Deep. Yeah, that is the I correct I kind of like this one, too. This one, <laughs> this one is directed by Marianne Fisher, and this one, um, oh, topical, because we're recording this on Earth Day. It's about a depleted ozone layer, and so they start heading underwater for something. I think that they're trying to colonize underwater because they're the ozone layer. like underwater bases yeah. or something. So, yeah, shit sucks on Earth, so they're going underwater. Somehow on the way down, they start encountering some weird shit, and it causes psychic visions. This is our first one with psychic visions. Yeah, well, there's like a scientist who's got like some kind of sea fungus or yeah. something that's giving her 
crazy 2001 style like ball trippy visions. Yep. Yeah, it's actually used from another Corman ripoff That's of Alien. That's not a surprise. Oh yeah, yeah. Like this is a Roger Corman movie. Yeah. And Corman now, like he plays the Meg Foster yes. evil company yeah. stooge whose face keeps appearing on the monitors when they talk to him. Which when I was watching this, I had to Google to make it. I was like, I swear to God, that was Roger Corman. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was Roger Corman. This is the one that feels most kind of abyss-like because we are dealing with aliens underwater and they almost look like the they abyss look, aliens. Like it's crazy to me that this is not technically a ripoff yeah. of the mm-hmm. abyss because it's so similar. And the message is the same. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. like, we're here to impart to you to not be evil jerks, yeah. humanity. Don't be dicks. We love each other. We've just been hanging at the bottom of the ocean yeah. for millennia. Yeah, they look like um, well, giant translucent like manta rays yeah. in this. Yeah. Um, they're but adorable. they've. Yeah, they are. They're really freaking cute. They are. Um, But they've still got those like wings that you Mm -hmm. see from the abyss. So they they definitely um, have a very similar look. The movie across the board for me, up until you get to the aliens, it feels so dated to me. Like it felt like even though it was 1989, it felt like I was watching something from the 60s. For sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, this even more so than Deep Star Six. Mm -hmm. This falls into that like, who is this movie for? Because it's almost got that vibe of like a movie for kids, but it's all about adults and it's serious. So I right after I'd watched this, um, I ran into Rodman Flender at a screening at the New Bev. And I knew that Rodman had worked for Corman's company right around the same time. So I asked him because I was like, yeah, this one, it just felt really dated. And he goes, oh, well, that makes sense. We um, when we heard about the abyss, we um, Roger was like do we have any aquatic cars on standby? And they literally like pulled it off the shelf. It had been there for like a decade. That and makes then a lot they, of sense because to me, this feels more like from the, the black hole era. Mm-hmm. Like it just has that tone. Yep. It definitely feels like a decade before mm-hmm. version of Corman. Yeah. Corman said that in Sim Fantastic. He said the, the project is at least seven or eight years old mm-hmm. at that time. And so the weird thing was, because he brought it up slightly, is that that was around the time James Cameron was working on Galaxy of Terror and all these projects for them. So he thought it was weird that all of a sudden they're making the same movie that's coming out the same summer. you know. But his is 1.5 million versus, you know. But it is crazy how they're both a message movie. They both yep. have manta yep. rays that are nice. Ending and classic Roger Corman school of uh, filmmaking uh, Janos Kaminsky was the DP for this movie, and then he won the Oscar for DPing Schindler's List just like mere years Holy later. Holy shit. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that is totally Roger Corman <laughs> style. I Marianne Fisher had done a couple things for her him before, but I was not able to find much from her later, so I, I want to kind of hunt her down and yeah, figure out like what she's producer doing. Yeah, she was a producer for him mm-hmm, or something? She'd been producing for him. Um, so after... Lords of the Deep, we move into The Evil Below, which is the one that I'm not sure if I classify in this kind of range with these other ones, just because it is the one that feels so drastically different. It's really just, it's an insane ripoff of Peter Benchley's The Deep. Mm -hmm. Like, structurally, it's exactly the same, because the only thing that's even horror about it, because it's like a movie, it's basically like, uh, what was that Paul Walker movie? Oh, with, into, the uh, into the blue, into the blue. Yeah. and it's yeah. the thing where it's about like a handsome guy and girl diver who get mixed up with like drug dealers and criminals who want to get something from a sunken ship but then like the deep uh there's kind of an oversight like in the deep i think it was a moray eel mm-hmm. this it, one it's, it's like a barracuda, barracuda? which yeah. is funny because this is the guy 
the star and director of this movie also starred Barracuda. In Barracuda. <laughs> I think they just reused the Barracuda from Barracuda. Because they actually reused, I think they reused the footage from Barracuda and they just cut it in with new divers. Because I was going back and forth on YouTube. I watched it on YouTube oh, really? this afternoon. <laughs> I went back and forth <laughs> no. between Barracuda and Evil Blokes. I was like, this is the same creature from, but yeah. And it has that's my nothing theory. to do with the movie. No, and no. it's like they say once, like, oh yeah, so we're trying to get this gold from the shipwreck, but the gangsters want it first, and this criminal syndicates over here trying to get it oh yeah but the shipwreck may be cursed and that's literally the only horror mentioned throughout the entire thing um but when i was looking at how they sold it they definitely kind of sold it as a horror film oh, like oh, they yeah. were totally pushing to try to get on that like the deep star six leviathan abyss train that was going on that year my favorite poster that they did which you guys have to check out um was the italian version for abyssi profunda oh, wow. it's literally a rip of fulci's the psychic Wow. Where it's like um, a woman hanging through a skull, but in this she's in like a bathing suit. It's it's oh, a really no. cool poster. I, I, I must see this. Yeah, I really liked that one. Um, but this one, it definitely had like an Indiana Jones feel to it, or like The Deep, where it's much yeah. more of like adventuring and trying to get mm -hmm. the gold before the criminal enterprise does. And oh yeah, there's some barracudas. Yeah, it, there's, there's, the barracudas. there's two barracudas. <laughs> two yeah. two barracudas, which may or may not be in this actual <laughs> movie. Well, they're in the opening, but in. But they don't come back for like the rest of the movie. I mean, I, yeah. if I recall yeah. correctly, that's literally what happens in the deep. Mm -hmm. That yeah. giant Moriel is in the beginning, and then it like saves Nick Nolte at the end by eating one yep. of the bad guys. And and that's kind of it's the climax of this one as well. Is we see the Barracuda come back um, in the climax of this one, but it's mostly shown in like silhouette, like it's circling them, <laughs> and you kind of see the shadow outside the boat, and then it's like, oh cool, the Barracuda's gone. <laughs> cool, curse is over, and then we have our ending so yeah that one definitely kind of feels the least connected to the other ones although wayne crawford the star and director of this movie also produced night of the comet and valley girl oh my he gosh wrote wow. valley girl wow oh, i didn't know that, that i, I had I thought no that idea valley girl the the poster should have said um from the director of barracuda <laughs> But, really, it should have. Yeah, but it out of all the movies, it has the guy, has the best name of a lead character, which is <laughs> Max Cash. Max Cash. Yeah, Max Cash. That's Love like hard it. to say out loud. It's a but, good one. Max Cash. He was a cool looking guy, right? Well, that Blaine one. Um, sure. He's no Nick Nolte. Nolte. He's no Nick Nolte. Yeah, he the lead. He played the lead. Oh, oh wow! Like, mm -hmm. He was the lead in that and Barracuda. He's not tour. He's I no need Nick to rewatch. Paul Walker. I yeah. don't recall Barracuda being like a thrilling movie. I, I remember like there being a couple of Barracuda. <laughs> Thinking about the abyss, I looked it up today because I was cur curious, and it was a closed-down nuclear power oh, plant off the closed plant? of or off the coast of South Carolina. Oh, freak um, me out yeah, shoot it. it's like that John shoot. Wayne movie where every single person who worked on it. Died oh, the of one cancer. in the desert. Yeah, yeah. they shot at the Genghis. The, it was Genghis like his Khan. Genghis Khan yeah, movie. Yeah, they shot yeah. At the bomb test site. But I remember in the tank because they're like, well, we're my like we're so far underwater, there'd be no sunlight. So they had to cover the entire surface with these little beads that blocked out the sun. Which but they now actually use to preserve water. If you really? drive, yeah, if you oh. drive up to Santa Clarita, they've got one of the LA water basins, and the entire thing is covered with these little black um, oh, kind of algae can't grow without the yeah. sun. Is that why? Oh, actually, it's oh. to keep it from um, evaporating because that was a huge thing because it's like you know 100 degrees yeah. for all of August through October here, and so they cover it with these little black like golf balls 
ball, ping pong balls that are yeah. black and the water can't evaporate, but it does the same thing. Science. <laughs> science, yes. Uh, speaking of science, I also, when I was doing research on this, supposedly, and I'm skeptical, um, that Cameron pulled the idea of them breathing liquid underwater because he had actually seen somebody speak about this in a lecture like years prior about how they were working to perfect this. And supposedly it actually does work. They've tested it with animals, not humans yet, supposedly. And the rat that they used was actually breathing liquid. I always assumed that speaking of things that disturbed me as a kid, that really creeped me out when they steal the guy's pet rat. Oh my god, because he looks like he's going through death spasms, yeah. and then somehow he calms down and starts breathing. I'm skeptical um, if that rat was actually <laughs> breathing that liquid. Yeah, I, I'm curious, but um, yeah, maybe maybe somebody listening can tell us. But supposedly the rat was actually breathing fluid and survived unharmed, was what I read I think, today. I mean, or so they say, but I, I feel like that was one of the things they hyped about the science on the movie. Yeah. Like, this is a real thing. Really happened to the rat. Really happening. Well, you have like, to do this. At right, because the, the idea is that it's like amniotic fluid, basically. Mm-hmm. That's a trip. The other story I heard that I dig is, uh, not dig, I, I think it's crazy, is that they had to put so much chlorine in those tanks that people were losing their hair, their oh. eyebrows. I was. <laughs> I read oh. about so many horror stories about actors screaming like, we are not animals and running off set and being stuck down in those tanks for so long that they had to have a tube of pure oxygen down there that they would go swim to and breathe in occasionally or else they would get the bends. And it's just crazy. I can't even imagine the, the shooting conditions on this. Um, and surprising they didn't all get pressure madness like Michael Bean's character. Yeah. 70 (laughs) hours a week on set. Um, six days a week is, is over six months that they spent shooting this. It's just ridiculous. Um, but the movie turned out well, and I remember loving it. And supposedly when I was looking back at, um, the original script that Cameron came up with, he had a similar concept where it was going to be scientists that he sent down. And then he decided that scientists were a little dry and uninteresting. So he pulled a note from aliens and went with like blue collar workers. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. One of all these movies, unsurprisingly, his is also the most plausible feeling. Mm-hmm. These are real workers just doing a job down there. Yeah. I, I didn't realize, I, I read earlier today, because I, I was trying to figure out when it was announced, but I didn't realize that Jason Patrick was cast instead of um, Ed Harris at first. I didn't either. Jason Patrick. Yeah, yeah. I can't yeah. picture so that. Yeah, he yeah. seems so young. Yeah, because I, I was... What year is Lost Boys, 88? Yeah, and that's when he was casted in May 15, yeah, 1988. He, been like, yeah. he was supposed ah. to be like 18 in Lost Boys, yeah. or maybe 20. And they referred to it as a psycho thriller set on a remote oil rig. Because at the time, they were still keeping it quiet. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so what it was about. So I thought that was a trip. That is really cool. Wow. Well, and then that brings us to that kind of rounded out the year. And then we had um, the Endless Descent rift come out really quickly mm-hmm. thereafter. So, guys, out of all of them, what's your fave? It's hard to pick. I really like uh, the, like, second half of the rift, AKA endless descent <laughs> mm-hmm. when it just turns into like a nonsense monster, a go, go where there's just like eight different kinds of monsters. We see the grub thing with the yeah. pinchers that comes out of the wall. It's well, fantastic. And then they find yeah. like all the weird little fetus 
creatures because oh, yeah. they're like human oh, yeah. hybridy stuff. And the and weird star thing. It's like yeah, a giant was, starfish. It's like the Sarlacc pit monster, mm-hmm. except it's on the ceiling yeah, there was like, of the cave. Those mutant fetus sacks. Yeah. <laughs> Which is still something like also disturbing about them. But I love the shotgunning the head of the guy that was head yeah that was actually another leviathan thing when you would get scratched it would infect you yep. this one also so there's another thing yeah but i love the uh, shotgun head explosion and besides jack Scully's hair there's like for people who just want a whiz bang um, horror yeah. movie like leviathan's maybe the one that feels most palatable because mm-hmm. you know kind of a B plus list cast. Let's say I was about to say A list, well, but I, yeah, not I'd quite. Say it's got but a pretty impressive cast for its time. It's got like Daniel Stearns in Leviathan? it. Leviathan. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I think it was Peter being considered Weller. a Peter big Weller, yeah. movie. Yeah. Richard Crenna. It was like a classy cast, actually. Yeah. Compared to like Deep Star Six, My Two Dads. And yeah. The guy <laughs> Police, Ac- Police Academy yeah. Four guy. Yeah. It felt real to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and it was like the crazy, I mean, the crazy, uh, I don't even think they're aliens. They're aliens. I think they're aliens in Lords of the Abyss. I don't know I what they are. I they were aliens. Yeah, they're aliens in both of them. Are they aliens? Okay. And I, I wasn't sure if it was just like, they've been here as long as we yeah. have kind of thing. I just remember the line, they must have done something to us. Yeah. <laughs> Why didn't we decompress? They must have done something I mean, to us. It's a James Cameron movie. He's yeah. like, I always like to say about James oh, yeah. Cameron is like, you can almost look at him that he's either kind of on the lower end of the wor- the greatest auteurs mm-hmm. or he's like the greatest of the kind of journeyman hack directors. Yeah, you like know, it's almost... He has <laughs> taken B-movies to a whole yeah, new level. Like I movies, mean, Piranha 2, and there we are. His movies are so perfectly watchable. <laughs> mm-hmm, they are. Even um, Piranha 2 yes, is yeah. completely watchable. Piranha 2 is better than people act like it is. Not completely. Uh, they walk, and they fly, yeah. and that's the important Flying thing. Um, so as I was... <laughs> <laughs> So as we close this out, I was trying to remember other points in kind of cinematic history where we've had kind of um, trends like this, where everyone's trying to beat one movie to the punch. And so we see all of these movies come out that have kind of a similar um, style. And I was thinking Turner and Hooch and K-9 were the same year. And um, the Volcano movies. Do you guys remember the Volcano movies? There was like a whole slew of them. And then also the space rock movies of the 90s where it was like yeah. Deep Impact, Armageddon, and there was a whole bunch of ripoffs within that. Um, but I remember seeing Deep Impact and Armageddon within the same year and being like, yeah. didn't I just see this movie? Which <laughs> one has Bruce Willis in that weird Aerosmith song? Um, aquatic horror connection. I always like to say, in my mind, Dante's Peak, which Linda Hamilton, uh, Pierce Brosnan volcano movie, is actually belongs in the subgenre of Jaws knockoffs. Because if you watch it, it's just Jaws, but instead of a shark, it's a volcano. Down to the detail that they, and this is, I'm impressed with this level of movie schlocky writing, is that they found a way for the volcano to kill two teens before the volcano explodes. <laughs> when you just ask, how does a volcano kill anyone? It's Susan Backlin, he's it, swimming. It's, it happens in Act 1. It's like in Jaws where they're going skinny dipping. They're going to go like skinny dip in this natural hot springs and the volcano like boils them. Oh my God. And I'm like, oh my God. they just found a way to do an early kill in a volcano. Does it kill a movie. dog before everybody else? I don't think it kills a dog. Oh, damn. But, but that all, still feels very the same Jaws. thing where they're like, we need to get everyone out of this town. And there's like the jerk mayor who's like, no, this town needs... Say Barracuda. Blueberry <laughs> festival dollars or whatever the excuse That's was. So um, oh, we also had the cave in the cavern. 
that were in yeah. the 90s. And I, yeah. I can't remember which one I liked. I remember there was one oh, that I was like, this is awesome. And then there was one that I was like, it's okay. Oh, something I also just discovered, uh, thanks to HBO, surfing through just, you know, what movies are on HBO, I discovered they made uh, two sequels to Canine. Two separate sequels to Canine? Yeah, there's like oh, Canine, Canine 1, 2, oh, and really? 3. And there's no sequels to Turner and Hooch. But Turner and Hooch was the funnier movie. And Jim Belushi. Don't eat the car! Jim Belushi's the- <laughs> in all the Canine movies, too. Oh, yeah. And yeah. their titles are like Canine, Canine 1-1. One, one, and I don't remember what the third one's crazy. Well, they made like four Midnight Run sequels. and what? Not, Yeah, but they, none of them, they have like Shooter McGavin from Happy Gilmore and this other guy is in it. Instead. Oh, man. Wow. But uh, to go off of your... Um, in in eighty eight, we had like vice versa, eighteen again, big. And oh yeah, the I, parent trap knockoffs or the body, body swapping. Yeah, the ones. Freaky Sorry, Freaky Fridays. Fridays. Yeah, yeah, yeah so the Freaky Fridays. That was right before this aquatic year. So. Oh yeah, what I was remember the one seeing with both George of those. Burns. Eighteen again. Eighteen again. Yeah, one of them had Kurt Cameron in it too. Like father, like son. That's the one. That and one? vice versa had um, Mike Judd. No, Judge um, Reinhold. Judge Reinhold. Yeah. That was it. So and then and then I think two years later was Dream a Little Dream, which is like the rift. Which yeah, I didn't really <laughs> understand the plot of Dream a Little Dream to a great extent, except Corey Haim, or Corey Feldman saying, yeah. dances on bleachers. It yes. doesn't matter what the plot is because that was the movie that had both Corys in it exactly. together, <laughs> and it had a really good song in it, like Rock and Roll. My soul. Oh, I remember oh, the song. Oh, yeah, the, the song. Yeah, and then, and then it was a gang that was like obsessed with putting moose in your hair, which was something like I've never seen in my life. It's like, well, you have moose, use it. Really like, good I like, moose. I, I grew up in New York. I'm like, who are these guys? I just felt like Corey Feldman <laughs> wouldn't agree to be in the movie unless they let him do his Michael Jackson. Oh, yeah. dance on the bl- exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then a recent one that I remember. This is when I was working at Fangoria, and I remember getting the press release for Repo the Genetic Opera and for Jude Law's oh, Repo yeah. Men. Yes. Really close together and being like, wow, this is the same plot. And apparently, they were shooting on side by side studios. And we're kind of like, what are you doing over there? What are you doing over there? <laughs> and then they ended up delaying the release of Repo Men because they thought that it was too similar, which it is. And then I think that one just kind of fell off the face of the earth. Like, I don't know a lot of people who saw Repo Men. Um, but yeah. yeah. My favorite of all time, though, was when there was a movie called Without Limits and a movie called Prefontaine <laughs> in the same year about the same guy. That's right. And I was like, who is Prefontaine? And there's two movies about this guy I've never heard of? Kind of mind-blowing. It's like the Exorcist prequels where they're like, <laughs> they just both appear, and you're like, but it's the same. Okay, we'll go with it. Unless you're going to do kind of a humanoids from the deep style movie that's not they don't really go underwater it's mm-hmm. just about things that live in the water coming out on land and attacking you uh which is fun in mm-hmm. its own way but uh, there's not a ton of movies where they're really going out on boats and diving yeah i think they've realized like we could just do this in space anyway and we don't have to deal with water and yeah. how expensive this is all gonna get i loved how ambitious um larry fezenden's I think it was called Below. Yeah, was a couple years ago. Like just because, yeah, beneath, beneath, or yeah. I liked yeah. in that that the killer fish, which I guess you could argue maybe wasn't exciting, but coming from Minnesota, I liked the fact that it wasn't like it looked just like a walleye. It was yeah, like a, like a boring lake fish. Yeah, I yeah, thought like it looked like a bass with yeah. extra teeth. It was just yeah. kind of green and yeah. brown. And the, the first, yeah. the first death scene is great. 
Yeah, and the the choking. Um, it, there's such good tension. Like it's almost like a Hitchcockian mm-hmm. moment with the boat propeller and the choking scene. It's really yeah. underrated. Yeah, that one. I liked how ambitious it was considering the budget. I wish more people would tackle aquatic horror. But anyways, thank you guys for walking through 1989 with me. Please tell everybody where we can find your show. Uh, So Steve and I have a podcast called Best Movies Never Made in which we uh, like to explore interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. Um, Steve, for those who don't know, uh, made the documentary Jodorowsky's Dune, um, which... I think for a lot of industry nerds was like really one of the biggest, most famous movies that never got made. Your documentary is amazing. It's pretty great. Oh, Everyone should see it. I so uh, the podcast is kind of a spinoff of that in a way. What are some of the films you've covered? Uh, some of my favorite, we just did, we just did a four part episode on unmade Spider-Man movies. Oh my God. It was only supposed to be two parts, but there are a lot of unmade Spider-Man movies. Uh, we've had some fun guests on. We had Neil Marshall on to talk about his unmade Excalibur movie, which was going to be like a sequel to the King Arthur legend like 30 years later. Speaking of never made movies, you need to ask Neil Marshall about his film version of the Mary Celeste story sometime. <gasps> yeah. He has a Mary, because there was, I published an article years ago about my obsession with the Mary Celeste and researching it and the ship and what it could have been and all the different stories that surround it. And immediately Neil was like, I I cannot, I have to show you, I have a script. I've had this project. I've shopped it around for years. So I want to read it. So I will have to have him back. I mean, the funny thing for anybody who works in the industry, you know, that probably for every one movie that gets made that same person didn't make like six or oh seven. Oh my God. Movies, yeah. So. I had this conversation with Dennis and Kevin who just did the pet cemetery movie. They came in and talked to my class and I was like, so what did you guys do in between um, starry eyes and pet cemetery? Cause there was a couple year gaps and they were like, yeah, we were attached to four movies in that time. None of them got me. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is like people like Spielberg and del Toro, people like give them shit online for like attaching themselves to all these movies that don't move forward. That's what everybody does. No, no, it's irons in the fire. They're just famous enough for that to get reported on in the trades. Because for most, like, you know, Dennis and Kevin, uh, no one was posting in like the Hollywood Reporter about the movies they were, because they were going to do, right, Mama 2. Mama 2, yeah, Yeah. there was a couple of them, Uh, so... The, yeah. the something papers, I think. Uh, yeah, there's a few. Was. Yeah, there was a few. I love but those guys. anyways, where can we find you guys online? What are your socials? Uh, you can find Best Movies Never Made on Instagram and also on Twitter under Never Made Film. And then both Steve and I are on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all yeah. the good stuff. Excellent. Well, thank you guys so much for joining thank me you for tonight. Having us. Nightmare University is a Fangoria podcast original, produced and hosted by Rebecca McKendry. Producer, Natasha Pacetta. Executive producers, Dallas Sonier and Phil Nobile Jr. 
Associate producer, Jessica Safa Vimir. Art and design by Ashley Detmering. Sound recording, design, and mixing by David McKendry. Music by the Serpentines. And for Fangoria, Brandon Wynerdy, Jason Kozlerich, and Rachel Wilson. Please join us in upcoming weeks for deep dives into hagsploitation, LGBT genre films of the early 1980s, hillbilly horrors, the entire Invasion of the Body Snatcher franchise, and heavy metal horror movies. Thanks for listening.